Today, I'm, I've entitled this A Worshipful Journey. And, if you, and as we read through this text, you'll find the whole point in why the wise men came was to worship the one who was born king of the Jews. That's the reason why they came. They had heard about this. And I'm going to get into the context of how in the world, how does wise men, magi from the east, how did they hear of a star that was supposed to rise over where the king of the Jews was to be born? Where did they hear about that? We'll get into that in just a minute. But I do want to talk to you a little bit about worship today. Because worship is a hot topic. It's been one for a couple of decades now, about how that works in the church. Well, I'm going to talk to you a little bit. John MacArthur has got a book entitled Worship, The Ultimate Priority. And from there, he, he notes four types of unacceptable worship. Four types of unacceptable worship. There is first the worship of false gods, which we all know would be wrong. In Isaiah 48, 11, God says, My glory I will not give to another. That is an echo from Isaiah 42, 8, which reads, I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another, nor my praise to graven images. Is Exodus 34, 14 says, You shall not worship any other God, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. So the first unacceptable worship is the worship of false gods. Secondly, is the worship of the true God in a wrong form. From Exodus 32, 7-9, we have the account of the Israelites making the golden calf. They were uh, giving homage with their lips to Jehovah, the one who delivered them from Egyptian slavery. They were clearly believed they were worshiping the true God. They intended to worship Him, but they had reduced Him to an image. So that's the second unacceptable form of worship, the worship of the true God in the wrong form. Thirdly is the worship of the true God in a self-styled manner. Nadab, Saul, and Uzzah were all guilty of worshiping God in their own way without regard to his revelation. That is false worship just as surely as worshiping a stone idol is false worship, and God does not accept it either. And lastly is the worship of the true God in the right way with the wrong attitude. In Malachi 1, we find the people of God worshiping by bringing their sacrifices, but their sacrifices were not acceptable because they were bringing lime, uh, excuse me, lame, blind, and sick animals. God was not pleased and would not accept their offering or their worship due to their attitude. Now, Malachi, I love that book. I preached through it or taught through it before. And at some point in the future, I'll probably preach through it. Uh, these Old Testament minor prophets are really fun to preach through. I, I really enjoy them if you haven't noticed that already. But today we'll delve into the journey of the wise men in their effort to worship the king of the Jews. We'll see how true worship is characterized by action. False worship is recognized with words only. And complete worship is to be centralized only on Jesus. That's what we're going to see today. So let's look there in Matthew chapter 2, in verses 1 through 12. If you would like, you could stand with me for the reading of God's holy, inspired, infallible, and errant word. Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. 
I'm reading from the New King James, which is also on the screen. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all Israel with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judah, for thus it is written by the prophet, verse 6, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child. For when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. When they heard the king, they departed. And behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then, being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. Let's pray, church. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for allowing us to come and gather and worship. God, worship takes action. God, it is more than mere words. And God, we know that our worship today is centralized and focused on Christ. Lord, there is nothing worth worshiping here other than you. So God, I pray, Lord, that we will focus our hearts, our mind, our energy, Lord, on you. Lord, there is no one more worthy. There is no one even worthy of our worship. God, it is only you. So God, I pray, Lord, today that as we read from this word and as we glean from your text what you would have us to learn, God, that we will grow in our understanding, our wisdom, our knowledge, and most importantly, Lord, our holiness in a life lived before you and before this world so that they may see evidence of a changed life in us. God, we pray that you will work today in lives. If someone is here, Lord, today that does not know you as Lord and Savior, God, I pray that they will surrender their life to you today and confess you as Lord and believe in their heart, God, you raised your son from the dead. And all these things we ask in Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. So today, the first thing I want us to look at is found there in verses 1 and 2. And that is that true worship will be characterized by action. Worship is not uh, an inactive portion. Worship is actually our lives. You want to see what people worship? A lot of times I've heard it said, look at their checking account. Look at their bank account. You will find what people worship there. What they spend their money on. Look at their schedule. You'll find what they worship there. And that's so true. What we place the highest value on in our lives is where we will invest our money and where we will invest our time. And that is evident all the way across the board. It's the truth. What we worship, you will find in our schedules and our time. That's where we will find our worship. You know, there are, there are things, when we, when we start into this in verse 1, 
Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men or magi from the east came to Jerusalem. So there's a lot just in that. Who are these guys? What do we know about these guys? And what do we not know about these guys? You know, uh, there's a lot of contemplations on these guys. There's a lot of focus on who they are and where they come from. Well, today I want to look at a few things to start off with about what we don't know about them. We don't know how many there were. We don't know how many there were. There was three gifts. We know that, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. We find that out in the latter part of this text. So therefore, we have concluded through tradition that there were three wise men. Well, I want you to know that that's nowhere in Scripture does it say there were three wise men. It's just really convenient because each one gets to hold one gift. And we all like to give a gift to Jesus, right? You know? So it's real convenient. Actually, tradition says that um, they actually had names, which always befuddles me that you can give names to hypothetical people that you, there's no account of a name. You don't even know if there's really three of them. But their names are Malchior, Belshazzar, and Gaspar. They claim that one is from Persia, one is from Greek, and one is from India. We, we, we don't know. We don't know. What we do know is there were so many wise men and magi that it caught the attention of the people, and there was a murmur and a stirring in that town of Jerusalem when they arrived that it was enough to get back to Herod and freak him out, to worry him, to make him nervous. Okay? We know that, that all those were hypothetical. There was enough. I mean, it was a caravan. You've got to think, these guys, we do know this, uh, well, before I get ahead, we don't know how many there were. We don't know their names. I just talked about that. I'm getting ahead of my notes. Um, we, we don't know all those things. We do know about the guys that they were well-respected, both in religion and politics in their own land. And men of this stature are referenced in Daniel. And I'm fixing to talk about that in just a moment. And it's likely these men were influenced by Jewish teachings from the various times of the people of God being dispersed into these lands. Okay, so that's that's what we do know. We do know that it's very likely that in the dispersion of the Jews, Daniel, uh, most particularly, you know, because he held high status where he was. And then he was able to speak on the word of God. So these astrologers, these magi that was passed down, remember, these guys are polytheistic. They were studiers of the stars and they're very intrigued by what uh, was offered from all different cultures and all different faiths across the land. So they were, they were willing to gather and, and, and kind of bundle up to themselves any teaching of anything that may give them more insight and wisdom and knowledge. Now listen, there's nothing wrong with studying to know either what you stand for or what it is you may need to stand against. You know, if all we study is what we hold to, we don't really understand where people are coming from. Now listen, you need to be strong in what you know so that when you encounter those things that, that you don't agree with, you know what's truth. So we need to study, the scripture says, study to show ourselves approved, a workman, not ashamed. We need to study. We need to know. These magi, they, uh, they, they, there's, there's no conclusion that when they came to Christ that they were really coming to worship him as the true God of all. It says they came to worship him as the king of the Jews. We'll talk about that some more in a minute. The Magi, or wise men, 
had learned, as I just said, of this Jewish thought from Daniel. In Numbers 24, 16 and 17, we find the prophetic scripture pointing to a star. It reads like this. It says, the oracle of one who hears the sayings of God and has knowledge from the Most High, who sees a vision of the Almighty, who falls into a trance with his eyes uncovered. Listen to this. I see him, but not now. I perceive him, but not near. A star will come from Jacob and a scepter will arise from Israel. This is the scripture by which, the prophetic text by which these magi have been holding on to for a long time. This is numbers. And we know between Malachi and Matthew, there was 400 years of silence by God. So we know that there was a long span where this had to have been taught and passed down verbally or through written text for them to know this, this was happening now. This was happening now. 400 years had passed since Malachi, and from Numbers it had been quite some time from then. But Daniel, who was a, a lover of God, a follower of God, he had passed this along as he was in leadership there in Persia. So from all this information, what do we see? The Zondervan Bible commentary says this, If the Magi came from the environs of Babylon, they would have traveled approximately 900 miles. And since they would have had to make arrangements for the journey and gather a traveling party, it could have taken several months from the time they first saw the star until they arrived in Jerusalem. And as that text says, it says, Behold, the wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying. They didn't go to Bethlehem immediately. They came to Jerusalem, and they asked this question. Let's... <laughs> they asked this question. Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? It's a dangerous question to ask in a city where Herod is the king. Very dangerous question to ask. We know Herod, Herod was pretty much a psychopath. Neurotic. Killed his favorite wife. I mean, could you, what did he do to his not favorite wives? I mean, you know, uh, you know, it tells us that. He killed two of his sons because he thought that all of them were after his throne. Herod was a dangerous man. A dangerous man. But as we, before I get too much deep into Herod, because Herod's not the focus here. The focus is, is what it takes to prepare for worship initially. And we need to prepare for worship you know, as I was reading that just a moment, it took, they traveled approximately 900 miles if they actually came from Babylon to go to Jerusalem. To prepare for worship, we need to know the Word of God. These men knew what had been passed down to them. They might not know the whole Word of God, but they knew, they knew what Daniel had passed down to them. We need to prepare by living the Word of God. We need to prepare for worship by taking action. We need to leap into action by getting our Bibles out daily to read, to reflect, and to repent. We leap into action by encouraging on Saturday evening the preparation for Sunday. As I said, they had to travel 900 miles, most likely. So to prepare for such a trip, I mean, many of you went back and visited family. You might have went just across the state. You might have had to go to another state. I don't know. 
But you know, if you've got little kids, oh my goodness, preparing to travel is a big deal, right? It's like you're packing half the house to go somewhere. You go to the beach, and I'm like, Why, can we just bring the beach to us? It might be easier, you know? I mean, it's, it's that challenging. And these guys, they are over in Babylon, 900 miles away. We don't know if they have families or not, these magi. But somewhere along the way, they say, hey, a star showed up. It's time to load up and head out. We've heard about this from Daniel, from what he told us in Numbers. It's time for us to get up and get to moving. So we got a plan. We got to get this and that. We got to get meals together. We got to get all of our, we don't know if they were on donkeys or camels or whatever it is. We've got to get our caravan prepped and ready to go. And with these guys being magi, they were vitally important to their culture, to their society. And so uh, most likely they had a large group following them. People who served in their households coming with them, toting the things that they needed so that they may study the star. I would imagine that as they were going across, they had their instruments measuring out the star and all that as they crossed over the, the deserts and the plains and, and seeking out where this king would be born. And it's a long journey. And you know, when you take a long journey, you got to prepare. Julie's always got a cooler full of snacks and drinks. And I'm thinking, man, we're just, we're just going to mom and daddy's house. You know, it's an hour and a half, two hours at max. But we, we prepare, even with that. Could you imagine 900 miles by camel or donkey? Whew, yeah, exactly. Whew. Not one trip I think I would be looking forward to. But yet they did it. They prepared for it. We, as, as worshipers of the Lord Jesus Christ, we've got to prepare for our time of worship. It's not just to jump up in the morning and go. You've got to prepare on Saturday night, especially if you've got young ones. You know you do. Pick out your clothes. It's so much easier. Pick out your clothes on the night before. If you wear, you know, dress clothes or whatever, you got to iron the shirts, you know. You got to make sure you get all them things together and set up your Bible in the right place. Unfortunately, I preach it from my old school Bible because my preaching Bible's on my nightstand. I went out and left it this morning. So I'm preaching from my old faithful right here. But, but you got to be prepared. You got to have things in place. And we see that the wise men, they were ready and prepared. And let's look at these words of the Magi. Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? We, we think about this. It's an amazing question for in a city that should have been watching and anticipating their Redeemer, they were blinded and burdened by their religion. They should have been watching and anticipating for their Redeemer. And they were blinded, blinded and burdened by their religion. They knew the law. I mean, obviously, they knew the scripture because when Herod called in the, the chief priests and the scribes, he said, oh, yeah, we know where that's at. That's in Bethlehem. You know, that's, that's right out of Micah 5 too. But there's this gigantic star or, or this, this, this not normal in the skies. Are y'all not looking at this, guys? What's going on? Are y'all just ignorant? No, we're, we're, we're complacent. They were comfortable in their status. And because of such, Jesus didn't come to those that were complacent, comfortable in their status. He came to those who had none. To the lowly and the unassuming is where Christ came. That's where he came. And he came for us. And he, he, in the hustle and bustle of the busyness of our lives, you know, we, we don't realize the Lord of all creation is desiring time with us while we're wasting time pursuing the creation 
over the Creator. It's what we do. And then the second line of the Magi, uh, the second line of the Magi gave an even greater fear, for we have seen His star in the east, and we have come to worship Him. Their statement is, their statement is not that the star was in the east from their location. It's just in the east, the Middle East, okay? And so, upon viewing the star, uh, the one we spoke of earlier from Numbers, they began preparing for their journey to Bethlehem. But it was not to see the sights and sounds of Bethlehem, because as we know, Bethlehem was not something worth seeing. It was six miles south of Jerusalem. It wasn't like a, you know, it ain't like us wanting to go to New York City, or you're wanting to go to some big, nice city, or you want to go to Boston to see the sights. No, this is like some outskirts town, you know, it's like, Hey, we're going to go to Birmingham, but first we want to go see the sights and sounds of Jasper. You know? And I love our little town. No knock on Jasper. But, I mean, you think about it. People want to go to Coleman. We want to see the Space and Rockets. I mean, not Coleman, but Huntsville. We want to see the Space and Rockets Center. You know, we want to go see these big things. And Oh, but let's, let's first go over, to, let's go over to Bremen. Let's go check out Bremen. You know, let's go over to Nauvoo. Let's see what Nauvoo's got over there. You know, let's, let's go check out Double Springs, you know. Nobody's really going to say that very often, are they? No, they're not. But yet, here it is. We've got, we've got the, the, the wise men, and, and they're coming in, and they're wanting to see Jesus. It doesn't matter what town he's in. They want to see Jesus. When we go places, do we, do we want to see Jesus? When we come here, do we want to see Jesus? Do we want to experience what it's like to be in the presence of the Creator? Or do we just want to accomplish something that we're kind of supposed to do each week? What are we doing? Listen, when we see Christ, we will offer our best. We will bring our best. We will act in what we call worship. And when we are prepared for worship, which is not dedicated to a momentary time frame once a week, but rather lifestyle, we are ready to welcome Christ to work, in, to, to work and move in and through us. We've got to come to Him and worship Him where He is, regardless of the circumstance or what's surrounding where He is. When we come to the realization that true worship will require action, we will become enamored with the pursuit of Christ. And in pursuing anything, there are costs and preparations. Scripture tells us in Romans 12, 1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service, or some translations say act of worship. To worship is to sacrifice. To worship is to pursue holiness, which is acceptable to God. This is the most understandably acceptable thing to do in response to what he has done. All of this worship is therefore because of the realization of God's wisdom, knowledge, and judgments. Worship is the right response to God's sacrifice. Worship is. Worship is not just one hour on Sunday morning. Or if you want to add 45 minutes to an hour of Sunday school. Worship is life. As I said earlier, you will find what you worship if you look at your time. You will find what you worship 
when you look at your checking account, your debit card, your credit card accounts. You will find what you worship. I will find what I worship. Where am I spending my time? When used to be, the notification would come over your phone on Sunday morning to tell you how many hours on average you spent on your phone, which was most convicted because usually it came over during Sunday school. And you'd see that and you'd be like, oh my goodness, seriously, I spent six and a half hours on my phone a day? I spent seven and a half hours on my phone a day? And then you rejoice the next week because it said, oh, your, your viewing of your phone is down 15% this week. You only looked at it on average per day, six hours. Really? Six hours. There's 24 hours in a day. That's a lot of time spent. How much time have we spent with the Lord each day? How much time have we spent with the Lord's people each day? How much time have we spent with the Lord's word each day? I guarantee you, in my own life, I would love to say six hours, seven hours a day. Now, we can get along and justify it and say, well, I have a Bible reading plan on my phone. And I was looking at my phone during that, and that counts in that, so can we subtract that? Percentage, blah, 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 blah. Okay, we all know that most of you are looking at Facebook. You know, you're looking at Instagram, you're playing solitaire, you're, you're doing something, you know, because I'm just as guilty as everybody else. I don't think I'm pointing a finger at you, I'm pointing at me too, or else I wouldn't have known those times. You know, I've seen those come over my phone. How much time are we willing to sacrifice for Christ? Listen, false worship will be recognized by words only. Look there in verses 3 through 8. When Herod, the king, heard this, he was greatly troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. Herod didn't know. Herod was more, he was more intrigued with making sure that he was in charge and in authority than he was uh, knowledgeable. He didn't really care about anything the Jews did, just as long as they didn't bother his, his uh, prominence. He didn't really care. So he asked these guys. He calls them all in. He, when he gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And so they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judah, for thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go... Listen to what he did. Okay, he, he's called in a bunch of people. Don't sound like he's moved a lot, has he? He ain't sacrificed a lot, has he? No, no, he hasn't. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. So from, from the chief priests and scribes, he gets the information about the prophecy. Oh, he's going to be in Bethlehem. Causing the, the, the wise men, the magi. Hey, when did this star happen to appear? Because, you know, I'm completely oblivious. I'm just up here ruling and reigning and doing all the kingly things that I'm supposed to do, you know, not knowing my people or caring about them. You know, this is Herod. So, so when did this star appear? You know, I've just been kind of chilling in my palace over here, not paying any attention to, to what's going on in society or in the stars. You know, it's not important to me what Herod's saying. And uh, they told him. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, Bring back word to me. I'm not going to go with you. I'm not, I'm not going to go with you to worship. Although, if you, if you find him, come on back to me and 
Tell me where he's at. Wink, wink. So I can go worship him. Yeah. His worship is going to come at the end of a night. As we'll find out later. Listen. False worship is going to be recognized by words only. And here's Herod. He's the king of running his mouth, right? Hey. Come here, chief priests and scribes. Tell me something. Come here, wise men. Come tell me something. Hey, wise men, go do something. Come back and tell me something while I just sit here and I sacrifice nothing. Our worship, false worship, is only going to be recognized by words. Worship requires, true worship requires action. And there's a lot of folks who want us to go and go tell me what happened at church. What happened at church? You know, now understandably, we've got folks in our lives that, that may be under the weather, sick, can't get out. That's the reason why we've got a Facebook feed, and a YouTube um, uh, feed, and, and everything else that we've got. We've got podcasts on iTunes podcasts. We've got all these things. And we understand we've got folks that can't make it. And we do that really and truly for that purpose, number one. Secondly, if people want to just see what our church services are like. But listen, if you really want to be a part of worship, you've got to come. You got to come. I heard a pastor, and he's caught a lot of flack about it. He said, virtual church is not church. Virtual church is not church. How do you catch flack over that? How do you? I mean, that's been running rampant through the Christian social medias. Of course, it tells you a lot about that, don't it? Anyway, uh, a pastor's getting in trouble for saying that virtual church is not church. It's not. There's nothing like being here. And being in the presence with your fellow believers to worship a risen Savior who's in the world today. I know that he's living no matter what men may say. You know, that's what the classic hymn says. You know, we're here together to worship. But a lot of people just want to talk about it. Here's, here's Herod. The wise men have come in to the town. The people begin talking about, and, and I put these in here. I thought this was kind of catchy, the Entourage of enchantment, the majestic magi and the diplomats of divination. People saw this strange group and began openly speaking to these individuals until it came to the ear of Herod. And this investigative question of the wise men spurred Herod's mind to begin diabolically plotting to determine the location of this king of the Jews. They come into this town where Herod is king. As I told you, he's killed his favorite wife. He's killed two of his sons. The Romans said it was better to be a pig in Herod's court than to be a kinfolk in his family. You know, that's, that's pretty scary. And it says the people were terrified when they heard this. It said that they were troubled, deeply troubled. Now, Herod did do the smart thing. He called in the, the, the priests and, the, and the, uh, the chief priests and the scribes to get information. But he wasn't about to get up and go anywhere. Listen, sacrifice, worship requires sacrifice. It might be your time. It might be that you have to say, you know what? We've just got to make this decision that this is what we're going to do. You know, and it's real easy to get, to get out of the, the, I hate to use this word, but the routine of being at in-person worship. Because once you get into that rut, or I say rut, it, it might be good. I mean, you might be enjoying your day off. But I'm just telling you, 
There's something about being in the presence with others who are worshiping the true God. Because if not, listen, when I was in my previous place of service and, and I was not required to be at the church for the time of worship, we'd get there, we had recorded early, and then we'd, it would be posted later. So I would come back home. I'm going to tell you something. It's hard. It is hard to worship through online services. I know many of you did that, right? It is hard. It's hard to sing at the house. I mean, like, no, it's not hard for me to sing at the house, and y'all probably know that. But it's, it's, it's hard to sing with somebody directing you on a, from the Internet. You know, it's just weird. I'm just going to be flat honest with you. It's just not natural. Now, I can listen to a preacher. I listen to a lot of podcasts during the week. I listen to a lot of preaching. And, and that's not odd to me. But singing is just so strange to me. But something when you're in the presence and you hear the people of God lifting their hearts to the throne of God and it's coming off from, coming from the voice of those who have been redeemed and changed by the grace of God. There's just something special about that. Something special about being in the presence of those others who have been changed and redeemed and saved by the grace of God. We have got to go and worship. And it requires sacrifice. False worship will be recognized by words alone. John Piper once said, and this is in regard to missions, missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions. Excuse me. Worship is ultimate, not missions. Because his is ultimate, not man. When this age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. It is a temporary necessity, but worship abides forever. There will always be worship around the throne of God, but missions will no longer be needed. The goal of missions is to reach out and, and share the gospel of Jesus Christ so that we may worship Him together. Worship is eternal, but missions is temporary. So worship in all of its vitality and its, and its necessity, missions has got, that much, it's got that much more because the Bible tells us, you know, when the last one hears, when the last one hears, the, one, the last one who is to believe calls upon him as Lord and Savior, that's when the trumpet's going to sound. Missions is vitally important. But it exists because worship is not. Because if we were all truly, truly worshiping Christ as he deserves to be worshipped, there will be no ear that would not hear. Because our worship would ring out from the, to all four corners of the earth and it would be impossible to ignore. Lastly, as I come to conclude, there in verses 9 through 12, when they heard the king, they departed. This is talking about the wise men or the magi. When they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over the young, where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And when they had come into the house, notice they're not in a cave with the star still shining through a providentially placed hole in the ceiling. When they came to the house, they fell down. And what did they do? Worshipped him. 
worshipped Him. And when they opened their treasures, they presented gifts to Him. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. Now listen. My primary focus here is that when they entered the house, they didn't worship the house, did they? They didn't set up, a, oh, let's worship the house. The house is great. Oh, let's worship Mary. She gave birth to the, great, to, 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 the, to the Christ child. No. It says they fell down and worshiped him. Complete worship is not to a man it's not to a pulpit, it's not to a stage, it's not to a building. Complete worship is to Christ and Christ alone. Jesus plus anything is messed up. Jesus alone. That's where we worship. They went into the house. Now, just to kind of come back for just a minute, I'm not going to stay here very long. But if this entourage was this big, you know this little house of Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus, because they were still in Bethlehem, couldn't have been huge. I mean, so you know you just had a select few. So they probably, now listen, this is all hypothetical, just like all this other stuff is. They probably had a conclusion. Somebody gets to go in the house and present the gifts to the babe. So they go in and they present the gifts now, I'm going to tell you a little bit about the gifts because that's not my focus, but I'm just going to tell you a little bit about it. There's two different reasons why many commentators say those gifts were given. First off is because they knew, because through God's sovereignty, he knew they were going to have to take the flight to Egypt. They were going to have to go to Egypt. And along the way, it's going to cost some money. It's a distance. So they gave them gold, frankincense, and myrrh, which were all three valuable assets that could be sold to make money so that they could get where they need to get and potentially get back or at least get a footing where they were going to land in Egypt. That was one reason why those were given. Secondly, we look at it from the, from the aspect of the meaning of the gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. We know that gold is very much associated with kingliness. We know that kings had gold crowns. Many of them back in the day had gold thrones. If you look at it, if you look over in Babylon, when they went into Saddam Hussein, now granted he was no king, but he had golden toilets in his house. Listen, that's kind of weird. But nonetheless, he had gold. And that's supposed to represent those for the king. So the gold was given because he is our king. Frankincense was burned by the priests. So the frankincense was represented of the fact that he, was, he is our great priest. He's the high priest. And then the myrrh. The myrrh is an embalming agent. And what happened to all the prophets of the Old Testament? Killed, murdered. So you had the gold for his, because he was a king. The frankincense because he's our priest. And the myrrh because they knew as a prophet he would be killed. Two different reasons why those different gifts were given. And the Bible gives us that, and I believe that's both of those are very much applicable. I don't think that you divorce one from the other. I think they were both hand in hand. But still, I don't think that's the primary focus of all this text. I think it's the fact that also that Matthew, Matthew knew the people that he was preaching to. He was preaching to very much a Jewish um, audience. He pulls in from Bethlehem, from Micah 5.2. He pulls in the scepter that would rise in Israel from uh, the star that would rise from Jacob. 
And he's talking about a lot of Old Testament prophecies. Jewish, the Jewish culture should have known these things. So he's pulling them along into the story of the Messiah who, would, who is Jesus Christ. And he's pulling them in. And so he pulls us along with it. And he tells us that this child is the Messiah. So we, we look at this primary focus, and the Scripture tells us the Magi rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Now let's ponder for a moment some events for us today that may cause us to rejoice with exceedingly great joy. For those of us that are Alabama fans, we can think back to the second and 36 against Georgia, right? 2018. Right? For us as Alabama fans also, we recall something called a kick six back in 2013. Don't want to give a whole lot of time to that. We can recall, though, some even greater things that give us great joy. It's the birth of our children. Maybe the birth of grandchildren. We can recall a wedding day, a graduation day, milestone birthdays along the way. We recall overcoming obstacles, sicknesses, or setbacks. And we rejoice with exceedingly great joy. But when we encounter Jesus Christ, there is something that should be greater. There should be a joy, a celebration, greater than anything. When someone comes down front and says, Christ has spoken to me and has revealed to me that I, that I am a sinner and I am lost without Him. And I want to repent and confess Him as Lord and believe in my heart that God raises from the dead. There should be joy, exceedingly great joy in the house of the Lord because He is present and He's working. When they came into the house, they saw the house, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy because they expected the Savior, the King of the Jews, to be in the house. When we arrive on this property, do we arrive and we go, Woo! Man! I'm excited! Jesus is here today. Or do we go, Well, let's make it to our Sunday school class. Let's kind of make it to the worship service. We should be excited. They saw the house, and it says they rejoiced. Read, read it right there. It says, and when they came into the house and they saw the young child. Well, actually, verse 10. When they saw the star, it had stopped above the house in verse 9. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And then they composed themselves. I guess that's, maybe, that's, maybe that's the reason why we entered the church like we did. They composed themselves. They went into the house. And they saw the young child. Of course, it might have could have scared the child. If they slapped their hands together like I just did, probably would have scared him. They saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. When we come in here, it should be about Jesus Christ. It should all be about him. We worship him, and everything should be centered about him. It's about Jesus. We get caught up in nitpicky things. Well, the microphones didn't work right. You know, no blame on the guys, up the, our, our team up here. They do a great job. Or Brother Blake's tie, I don't like it. You know, or 
I didn't like the songs that were picked out today. This was too loud, or this wasn't loud enough. Listen, was Jesus present? Did you come looking for Jesus, or did you come looking for an issue to find? Come looking for Jesus. Now granted, the Holy Spirit resides within us. We bring our worship with us. We shouldn't wait for the pastor or Dana or the instrumentalist to bring worship to you. We bring our worship to Jesus. You see what they brought? They brought their gifts. They sacrificed their time. They brought their lives. They gave up so much back home. And they said, you know what? I know there's a lot going on at the house. We got we to gotta wash all our robes. We got we to gotta bathe the camels and all that kind of stuff. But you know what? We got to get on the road. We got to get down to the house. We got to find where this baby's being born. We think it's Jerusalem. They get there and they say, no, it's in Bethlehem. Listen, sometimes you got to set things to the side because worship is important. Worship should be a part of our lives. When we think about our worship today, where, where is, it? is it? Is it even before we prepared? Where is our worship? Are we preparing for worship? Are we engaged in worship in our lives? We should be. There should never be a day that we go about that we say, you know, I didn't worship Jesus today. Now, you might not worship him like I do sometimes. And we've all got our different ways of worshiping Jesus. But the biggest thing is, is are we worshiping Jesus? He is the central focus of the entire inspired, infallible, inerrant word of God. He is the primary individual of this entire account. Are we worshiping him? The Magi knew. 